What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome to the Chase Thomas Podcast. We're recording this around lunchtime on a Thursday afternoon, and America's college football, the Solid Verbal's Dan Rubenstein, is here, and he knows a lot about lunch and food and Chip Kelly. Dan, <laughs> how are you? I'm good. I, I like that you just left the podcast out, just America's college football, as if I am embodying the sports. Yeah, um, you are. You are Mr. College Football now. Thank you. Oh, my God. Tony Barnhart's going to be pissed. Oh, but that's I'm okay. okay with it. <laughs> Um, life is good. I, I do know about Chip Kelly a little bit and I am thinking about lunch. So everything that you said is accurate. You're thinking about lunch. So you have not gotten lunch yet. No, I haven't. Um, oh, no. got some leftover chicken fajitas that I might, I have an avocado. I could make some like turkey taco meat or something like that, but I'm feeling kind of lazy. That might have to be for dinner. Okay. There you go. Um, what is the best thing you've eaten this week? The best thing I've eaten this week is... I actually, let's see, I made a roast turkey breast with like a garlic chive butter, which was very, very good. But that's not, I mean, it's a turkey breast. I went out to brunch on Sunday with a friend and my wife and her husband, and I had a chorizo, like fried egg with chorizo on top of like a bed of potato chips at a Spanish place with some crispy potatoes on the side with some sort of spicy aioli on top of said potatoes that was really good i knew like three of the words you just used to describe eggs your chorizo <laughs> potato chips there you go now you're speaking my language yes um i, uh, <laughs> I it was uh, very good i recommend it okay i'm not gonna eat any of that because i eat like seven things I, okay yeah I'm super picky. how old are you i am 27 you're 27. You should be eat- You should not be a picky eater in the way that you were when you were 18. But it's developed you're when you're a kid. We know that it's a thing that happens when you're really young, and it just. I was picky. Hit- yeah. Okay. I, listen, I was picky too. I was like a bean and cheese burrito, hot dog, pepperoni pizza oh. kind of guy. Yes. 
and I evolved. How? And now I eat just, I don't love raw tomatoes, and never, I don't that's my love number one. mushrooms. Tomatoes are my number one. Can't but do you it. eat tomato products? We have marinara or salsa? <sighs> marinara, no. Salsa, yes. But you, salsa, so you don't eat pizza? Chunky, it can't be the chunky salsa. See, I think you have to push yourself. Mm. And I think the way you do that is by traveling. Okay. Because there's a certain mindset. Maybe you already travel, maybe you don't. But there's a certain mindset, like, I am never going to get back to... New York, at least for a long time. I am never going to get back to Barcelona. I'm never going to get back to Tokyo or even just like Austin. And so you almost have to force yourself into saying, I just, I have to dive into this as a life experience. And I think you'll, I think you'll. So it's an attitude thing. It isn't like I didn't. So I, we can get into this as a segue to college football or we can just talk food. But I was a picky eater basically until I started traveling a ton when I was working for Sports Illustrated, going to college football games and tailgates. And I was like, Listen, I'm in Wisconsin. I have to try cheese curds. I don't. I've never had a cheese curd. I'm not positive. I know what it is. I don't know what just, it is. A, a cheese curd is just a fried bit of cheese. Oh, okay. So the cheese curd is the the curd is what pops to the top when you are basically making cheese, like little <laughs> bits. And so it's not. You can't make it into a big piece. So they so just take the little piece of cheese. I assume. Yeah. Okay. This was a Wisconsin game at a Wisconsin bar when I went to. The Florida-Georgia game in Jacksonville, some tailgater was grilling oysters. I'd never had an oyster in my life. But you, you just at a certain point, you just have to say, F it, and just go for it. I mean, it. it was Ryan Nanny. You can't go wrong with whatever he's cooking. It was 100% not Ryan <laughs> Um But it was, it was worth it, because now I like oysters. I like cheese curds. I don't eat them all the time. But you force yourself into that place. I promise you, Chase, you will be less picky. Okay. Because you don't want to be picky, do you? You want to like things. I, I do. It's really awkward, especially it makes dating hard. Like dating is a difficult thing when you're a picky eater because it's not. No girl's like, yeah, he's he's really cool. He eats like five things when we go out. He has to. Can't do it. it. I I would. I don't date anymore because I'm married. But if that would be, I did not even go on a first date. I was supposed to be set up with a, a friend. Tried to set me up with a vegan, mm-hmm. and that In would there. just be. It would be too difficult for me because not because I, I like think less of vegans because they have a like a moral stance or something against eating animals. That's fine. But when you go vegan instead of vegetarian, that's when I'm saying to myself, I don't know what to do with this person. <laughs> I live in a city where you can be a vegan. Yeah. Like they, there are options. But at the same time, like I don't like it's just so restrictive. And so you're doing that to yourself. That's true. So then. You are restricting the type of person you can date. What if we just never have meal dates? That's uh, listen. If that's what you, the direction <laughs> you want to go in, I don't like eating in front of other people anyway. Like that's oh, uh, we have been... so much to get you over. I know. I have a lot of hangups. <laughs> You'll get there. I promise you. You will. Okay. Um, uh, we were going to lead into. We were going to make an organic lead into college football, but it doesn't look like we're going to be able to turn that's this okay. back around. No, it's fine. Yeah. We're just only co-hosts of popular podcasts on iTunes. It's fine. We're, yeah. we're experts. Um, Chip Kelly, he is now at UCLA. And one of your recent podcasts on Solid Verbal, y'all are doing the Pivotal People. That I think, Yes. Uh, right before that, though, you had Chip Kelly. And you were talking about Chip Kelly a little bit and him at UCLA. And you're kind of dubious about him. And, I mean, they're going from pro style to Chip Kelly style. And right. we UCLA, obviously, is not... Like they've had talent, like they've recruited well, and recruiting was not an issue for Morris. So Chip Kelly will recruit, but it's just there's something off, and you're dubious about it. So, um, without like rehashing everything that you discussed with Ty, but like, 
what what are the big things that stand out to you about Chip Kelly and UCLA? So to me, it's just not a binary thing. Like, I, I think there's a lot of reaction that it's just like, oh, my God, we got this guy who just had this overwhelming success at Oregon, and now he's coming to UCLA, and the train's just going to keep on rolling. But I don't think that's, like, really how it works. I think when you take in the full context of Chip Kelly's NFL time, when you take into the context of UCLA is a, is a different environment. I don't think he has the kind of support he had at Oregon uh, I don't think he had the runway because he was obviously an offensive coordinator for Mike Bellotti for a couple of years to sort of come into the program as a head coach with momentum. I don't think he necessarily has that. There are quarterback questions, and I'm positive he will stock the UCLA program with good quarterbacks. Not that quarterbacks are cans to be put on shelves, but I, I feel like the the talent level at quarterback, the talent level across the board has already been good in a lot of places. For a couple of years, it was on defense. Now it's sort of thin in a couple of places. But the Chip Kelly experience is such that, one, does does he want to be at UCLA or does he want to be in the NFL? Now, obviously, he is not going to have the NFL knocking on his door all that often unless he has a crazy amount of success at UCLA and looks different and, and you know very much appears to have learned from his mistakes in the NFL just in dealing with people and dealing with running a program and developing an infrastructure. But there is, there is a part of me, and I... I there is more of me that thinks he will succeed within the context at UCLA, which means winning the South a couple times and perhaps threatening for a conference a couple times over the next few years. But there is just that that nagging part of me that says there are challenges at UCLA. You are perennially going to be the second biggest program within 20 miles. There are, you know, they've, they've finally upgraded things on campus, but, you know, playing in the Rose Bowl away from campus, that's a struggle. You don't have a home field advantage in a way that a lot of teams do. I just, there, there are questions to me about what this team looks like. Is this, does he look at UCLA as a long-term destination? And he might, and that'd be great for Bruins fans, but there are, there are nagging things to me that don't make it a, oh, slam dunk, Chip Kelly went 47-6 and six at Oregon. He's going to do it again at UCLA. I, I think the context is very different. What's a good number of wins for him this year? This year? Mm-hmm. Their schedule's pretty tough. I don't have it in front of me, but I remember thinking if they can win eight games, if they can win seven games, that's fine. That's yeah. a good platform. That's a good baseline. Who's at their school longer, him or Mario Cristobal? <sighs> I think the only thing that would... So Chip Kelly, obviously, you have to feel more confident in because he's done it before as a head coach on a big level, whereas Cristobal was fine at FIU, encouraging at FIU. Um, I don't think Oregon wants a coaching search anytime soon. So I will say Chip Kelly, just because there is a chance that Mario Cristobal, either because it just doesn't work out and he recruits better than he actually coaches, or a crazy job opens up after three years of success if Mark Rick retires from Miami or something like that and Cristobal is winning 10 games a year at Oregon it'd be tough to turn down the Miami job but yeah I, I think just the the smart money says chip at UCLA are you happy with Mario Cristobal or did you want somebody else like Sumlin or something I am happy with Cristobal I was okay. fine with Cristobal I think the struggle with Oregon is you, you either need it seems to me you know Mike Mike Bellotti was a uh, a steadying influence. He was the sort of dean of Pac-10 and at that time Pac-10 coaches uh, for a long time. But in today's landscape, you need somebody to recruit and put together a staff of recruiters in a just an overwhelming way, which he has done. This is a this 
should be a perennial top 10, 12 recruiting class yep. type program because it's just tough to get kids to Eugene, Oregon. There's not a lot of in-state kids. Uh, there's not a lot of kids in the Pacific Northwest. You can recruit California, but you're going up against Stanford, UCLA, USC, whatever. And so that's Michigan, like Alabama, Wall, who has connections in Florida and the South and everything else. Yes. Um, and has recruited, you know, Utah really well, where there are there is a Polynesian population that that, you know, has been pretty. I mean, going back to Haloti Nata has been a big deal for Oregon. So and I think this last class, they may have gotten the best guard in the country in Panay Sewell. So, you know, there are the inroads. It's either that or you have to have a crazy schematic viewpoint. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, Chip Kelly succeeded. He, he recruited well. Don't get me wrong. That was a top 15, top 20 class every year. But near the end of his time at Oregon, struggled with quarterback recruiting, you know, whiffed on a couple of big guys. And at Oregon, you just they can't afford to do that. And so... I, I think that the talent advantage, they're paying coaches, they're paying coaches with a, a really good recruiting background, whereas Chip Kelly didn't necessarily have that in an older coaching staff. So I, unless, you know, the other name that I would have been like kind of secretly pumped for would have been Ken Niamatololo and okay. would have hired him because the you don't need to run the option at Oregon. I don't necessarily think he would have run a base option like he does at Navy where, you know, at a, at a school like that you have to at a a service academy you almost have to because of the size disadvantages Mm -hmm. i think arizona screwed up not hiring him because of backlash i I think he would have hired the schools need to do an air raid one of them i don't want all these uh military schools to do the read option i I want one of them to be like cliff kingsbury that once he gets fired i want him to go to one of these schools and install an air raid with one of them i don't like all of them being a run first team it's tough though because to run an air raid you need a pretty good quarterback and it's there aren't that many yeah and to to get a kid to go to a service academy and all and a lot of positive that comes with that but you know it's great academics whatever it's just it's a different experience and you can run a successful system with a 511 athletic quarterback True. and i don't know that you always you know there's there's potential there but you know so much relies on quarterback with the air raid i, I think it would be a hell of a good time but the size disadvantages that, you you know, these guys aren't able to bulk up in the same way because they need to stay and, and fight in shape. Um, it's tougher. It is. But, yeah, I, I'm all for creativity at those places. So Sumlin, though, he ended up getting the job at Arizona and then Arizona State, of course, hired Herm Edwards. Mm-hmm. Who do you think has a better opportunity to succeed over the next five years? Because I feel like the jokes have been made about Herman Edwards and they're obvious just listen to any of his press conferences or any of his quotes about anything and Mm -hmm. you understand but like i've gone back and forth on this i'm like who do i think is got a better shot of like having a surprise fiesta bowl appearance (laughs) arizona state arizona and i feel like my my gut instinct was arizona but at the same time i don't know herman edwards there's something there where i'm like you know what why not i i don't know where are you at with both of them I think it depends on the assistants and the staff, whatever. Mm-hmm. Kevin Sumlin knows the landscape of major college football. And I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about opponents. I'm not talking about recruiting. Just how you play the game, how you network, how you hire guys. And, you know, Herm Edwards coming in and saying, we're retaining both coordinators. And then both coordinators are like, no, nah, we're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> we are. And they, they left within Which was two smart, or three though. weeks. Right. And I... There, there are reasons for me to believe. I think you can recruit to Phoenix easier than you recruit, or Tempe rec- easier than you can to Tucson. There is the the shadow of basketball hanging over the football program at Tucson, which makes it a little bit tougher. Um, 
you know, L.A. to Phoenix is so easy. L.A. to Tucson's a little more difficult if you're recruiting kids like that. So I think Arizona State, as a program, big picture, no matter who the coach is, is an easier sell and should be put in a better position, should be in a better position to succeed more so than Arizona. In the short term, I'm going to say Sumlin. He has the quarterback. He has the name for recruiting. I, I like his staff a lot, but I think if Herm Edwards and Kevin Sumlin are equally their best selves, I could see ASU surpassing Arizona right now in terms of cachet, in terms of long-term success, because it's another situation. Like, Sumlin is not where he wants to be necessarily. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, it's, you know, maybe it's a a good situation where it's a lot chiller than it was in College Station, but this is, I, I can't imagine this is a destination situation for someone who, interviewed for bigger jobs and wound up in a good place. But a lot of people thought that he was going to, you know, take a year off, decompress, deal with some off field stuff. And I, I just think he's thrust into a situation that I don't know if he's fully on board with yet. How much do you think he enjoyed watching Sheriff Jimbo? (laughs) Not much, (laughs) not much, but you know what? I think he enjoys the fact that Texas A&M's on the hook for so much cash with Jimbo yeah. that, you know, someone will do fine. His his buyout was fine. You know, these guys aren't, you know, wanting for money, but there is there's so much risk with Jimbo right now that, again, situation where, you know, he was ready for a fresh start after Florida State, you know, by all accounts, wasn't really recruiting by the end of his time at Florida State. So I think he could be reinvigorated at Texas A&M, huge stage in the SEC West. But, yeah, I think someone looks at that and says, you know, as if there already weren't crazy over-the-top over expectations at Texas A&M for a program that really hasn't done all that much on a national stage beyond that one year with Johnny Manziel, that the inherent expectations coupled with that contract, I think there, there's probably an element of, you know what, have fun with that. Yeah. Is this y- the year... You think that Michigan finally breaks through or no? I know how what, you feel about Define breakthrough. Uh, win the Big Ten. No, I don't think so. No, I think that schedule is too tough. I think they could break through in looking like what they did two years ago and, you know, maybe got, you know, be in that late for the, being it late for the, uh, the Big Ten East crown. But at this point, I would just rather have, the totality of Ohio State or even Penn State when I just I still have questions about quarterback for Michigan. I still do. As as fun as Shea Patterson appeared at times in Oxford, he's somebody else who I just look at like how long can we look at his recruiting stars? Mm-hmm. How long can we look in that rearview mirror instead of looking forward through well, the wind? Answer for you. It's yeah. how how long can you watch a Wilton Spate video on YouTube before you're like, okay, this is fine. I don't even care what we have, what Shea Patterson is at this point. He's not Wilton Spate. But Wilton Spate was that spot away from winning the game against Ohio State I and know. thus the Big Ten East. So that defense was special. That schedule was special. That was before Penn State really hit its stride a couple of years ago with Joe Moorhead. But yes, Shea Patterson has a higher ceiling than Wilton Spate. That is undeniable. But the schedule is, I mean, they go to Ohio State, they go to Notre Dame. I don't remember where the Wisconsin game is, but I, I'm pretty sure it's a pretty difficult road schedule. So, yeah, I think they can win 10 games. But head-to-head against Ohio State, you know, I, I think they get Penn State at home, which is nice this year. 
but People I should stop betting against Urban Meyer. I think they should. I think they should stop. <laughs> I really do. Because I, in, if they don't run Dwayne Haskins into the ground, I think he could be an all-time quarterback for Ohio State. Just because the bar is pretty low. But I think he could be excellent. I really like him. And then you get worried because you're like, who's behind him? Oh, wait, it's Tate Martell. And then there's going to be another one. There's going to be another one. It just never yep. ends. Yeah, yep. They're fine. It's, it must be nice. <laughs> um, am I crazy for thinking Florida is going to go at least 10-2 and two and challenge for the SEC East in year one of Dan Mullen? <sighs> I'm, br- I'm bringing up their schedule right it's now. A, I like walk. Florida. Is it really? Yes. Um, Florida opens the season. They don't have anybody in the non-conference. Outside of Florida State to end the season. Yeah, Charleston Southern, right into Kentucky. Colorado State's feisty and decent, but I think it's they have a new home. quarterback. Yeah. It's at home. Yeah, Florida does not leave the state of Florida. Um, Tennessee is on the road. Mississippi State's on the road. Vandy's on the road. Yeah, it's a nice schedule. That is a very nice schedule. They have LSU at home. Even South Carolina's at home. South Carolina is at home. Yeah, I the only like sure thing loss on this schedule appears to be Georgia. But see, that just, you never know in those games. That is true. And now this is a new look Florida team. I, I mean, I have quarterback questions about Florida as we do every year. Florida State on the road is going to be real tricky because yep. I think that offense is going to be humming by the end of November. But nine wins does not seem unreasonable. I don't know what their depth chart looks like at, you know, on the defensive line, you know, in the secondary. It seems like they put a ton of guys into the draft. They seem relatively thin at skill positions in terms of proven talent. But yeah, I, I like the fact that Dan Mullen is just a better coach than yep. what they've had these last couple couple turns. He's the best so, coach in Mississippi State history. He's the best coach in Mississippi State history. Feels comfortable in Gainesville, obviously. It's not home, but he, he you know has spent a lot of time there. So infrastructure-wise, he is he's coming from another SEC school. So yeah, I, I would say they're going to lose something stupid. Yep. And they'll probably edge somebody out that they shouldn't edge out and end up like nine and three feels about right after going four and seven that's a pretty I was big say, jump that's a huge win for them yeah that's huge i think they're coming so georgia fans need to brace themselves you're getting i think uh, i think georgia's still gonna win that game okay I, I would not i just i wouldn't pencil that in as a w for georgia i just Their don't who's playing quarterback for joke. florida yeah i don't know i guess i don't really worry about quarterback with a dan mullen coach team like he turned nick fitzgerald into a really good player and it didn't look like he could throw even at all his first right. year at Mississippi State, and then they turned into just this powerhouse. He got Dak Prescott to number one in the nation. Like, I'm not really worried about Dan Mullen cultivating some quarterback depth and talent in Gainesville. That's not my bigger... My bigger issue is Todd Grantham running their defense. That's my bigger concern. Yeah, don't love that. But, no. you know, he's been, like, relatively speaking to recent SEC and Southeast school hires on at defensive coordinator. He's all right. He's not great. He's all right. <laughs> you, you, what did Louisville do when he left? That's true. That's true. They hired now, uh, Sermon, way, way worse. His name? Or they traded for Sermon. Peter Sermon. Yeah, yeah, they had that that weird trade thing, and then Louisville just hired, I think, Brian Van Gorder. Mm. So Ty loved him. Is, do you remember he, when oh, he was at Notre Dame and he BBG? This yeah. guy. <laughs> Ty loves that guy. I would say, yeah, I I think he's going to develop quarterbacks. I think the defense will be fine um, because you have to remember too that. There are certain coordinators who thrive with great talent. Like their their mindset is, oh, a player at this position should be able to do this. So that's what I'm having them do. And they can adapt when the talent is less than ideal. 
Florida should have good talent. So I think system-wise, I think Grantham will have a lot to play around with and will have the talent to run his system effectively, whereas I don't know if Todd Grantham could go to Colorado State or Cal and have that same kind of success. I think he is dependent on that on the talent itself. Who was your favorite off-season coaching hire? <sighs> we talked about it on this last one. I like Georgia Tech hiring Nate Woody, but that's okay. It's a good name. It is a great name. Um, my favorite off-season coaching hire is <sighs> head coaching hire. It's probably Willie to Florida State. Okay, and I don't think he's the sure thing either, but. In terms of the talent he'll bring in, he didn't fill out the staff, I think, as a lot of people at Florida State would have liked him to. Well, you know, get Hazlitt, right? He tried to bring him over. Right. He, he tried to bring a couple of big names over that didn't really work out. Um, but, yeah, I think he's going to recruit super well. And within the ACC, there's two programs that will be on that level talent-wise. And Oh, Levitt. Florida- Why did I say Hazlitt? I meant Levitt. Oh, yeah. They, Jim Levitt. I, 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 yeah. I, I knew what you meant. Um, <laughs> Yes, but you know he's, you got to beat Clemson, a national power, you know, program every year now, and you have to beat Miami. And Florida's not part of the conference schedule, but that's that's a tough game. But there is such a talent drop off in the rest of the conference that, barring bad coaching or bad development, I don't think that's the case. Willie Taggart should have Florida State as a perennial double digit threatening win team every year, and this is this is his destination. There's no more climbing. This yeah. is it. So I, I think there's a certain amount of peace that comes with that. What is your favorite off-season storyline that you've been monitoring? <sighs> favorite off-season storyline that I've been monitoring. The Kyler Murray stuff was fun. Yep. Weird. Fun. Um, How many games does Billy Bean watch this fall? Or he, does he just like get up and like <laughs> turn the TV off? Of like I can't. I do think this. he's a football. I think he actually is a football fan, so I think he will watch some. Okay. Um, Every hit does he just? Yeah. Like how many f bombs does he drop watching these games? Yeah. No, he will. He will get because Kyler Murray's up. a mobile dude. He's gonna be running he around. He's gonna get jacked up a couple times. It's gonna happen. It's true, but you can heal for baseball. You I don't can. think there's anything that's going to really threaten. I'm trying to think of what like has been on my mind, like. The LeBron Nick Saban thing was kind of fun. Yeah, that arguing over copyrights over the word like barber. Um, I, I don't know if anything like I, I all of it blends together at this time of year when I just start studying for the new season. Okay, uh, what stands out to you? Lane Kiffin taking all the five stars that no one can keep on their roster. I do like that. That is. Yeah. I don't know why more teams don't just do that. Like, oh, I'm sorry, we're a nothing program, and we would love to have this guy on here. He was a, a what? A five star, and he has oh, nowhere sure. else to go. Perfect. Bring him in. Bring um, him in. I'm trying to look and see what else has jumped out to me as being fun and weird during the college football off season. The draft stuff is always crazy, but that's sort of expected. That's yeah. part of the drill with the draft, like Lamar Jackson going silent before the draft. Speaking um, of, have you yeah. seen the Louisville quarterback's new, uh, his name? Jawan Pass? What a name. Big that's fan. my favorite college football quarterback name. Yeah. Oh, Jawan Pass. But the problem is, it there was a kicker, right? Who was, what was the kicker's name for, it was Blewett, right? <laughs> yes. There's so, there's a lot of pressure when you attach the name. I just he just he's got to be super accurate because anytime he's not, it's Jawan high pass, Jawan hard pass, <laughs> Jawan where was that pass? 
Oh, so I hope Mike Rutherford's writing all these downs. Hi, yes. High ceiling, low floor. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But I'm excited. I'm excited. It, it feels right. And I'm uh, I'm looking forward to what happens with Georgia. And this is a good segue into this question of mm-hmm. Justin Fields. I've had this argument with a lot of family members and friends about Justin Fields and Jake Fromm. And mm-hmm. Jake Fromm is now a cult hero. He stepped in, won a bunch of games, got into the national title, came very close to winning said national title. Justin Fields is another five-star. He's a different quarterback. I don't mm-hmm. believe he is going to be there for three years and sit behind um, Fromm for that long. I just don't think that's do I. He think He wants to compete for that job. And I just I think people should brace themselves for the fact that Jake Fromm might not be the quarterback in Athens by 2019. Well, it would be two years because Fromm could, if Fromm is excellent, he'll leave after his true junior well, not even year. Just leave. I'm saying like Fields just might like, I think we're going to see them both play a little bit this fall. Like, I think they're going to try and get yes. them both in there. And then it's just going to be, people are going to pick sides of like, they're going to see Fields do something and, Oh, why aren't we starting this guy now? It's like Fromm. He's just, he's basically Matt Saracen out there. Like it feels a lot to sure. me, like the Matt Saracen thing when he stepped in for street and then, they went on this magical run down the stretch and then the new guy comes in jd mccoy so justin fields oh yeah that one yeah yeah he is the new one and you're like oh this new shiny thing and you're like oh yeah this guy's clearly more talented but Fromm's the guy who guided us to this big game and everything else it's it's an interesting storyline that i'm i'm not going to pretend to know where it goes but i do think it's it's really hard to pull off a qb change like they did uh with eason to from them from Mm -hmm. to fields with no hitches and I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I just think there is a recipe for either disaster or good fortune. I I, I don't know where it's going to go, though. Here's the difference in my mind. Um, and this has come up a lot with uh, Trevor Lawrence and uh, Kelly Bryan at Clemson. Mm-hmm. One the can difference, throw and one can't. Yes. The difference is we saw Jacob Eason as a freshman complete a Hail Mary and not do a ton more. He had a couple of real stinker games. And so there was this idea of like, well, he was this highly touted guy. He's got this big arm and coming into the new year, it was, we'll see what he can do, but we're not fully sold. And then Jake Fromm came in and looked awesome. He looked really, really, he went to Notre Dame against that defense, pulled that out. He just looked terrific. And like, you can't even come away from the national championship game. And though he had a little bit of struggle in that game. He put them in a position, you know, scored a, the bajillion points needed to keep up with Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. And then the national championship game against Alabama's defense, he made throws. He was good. He wasn't as good as the totality of Alabama and their two quarterbacks they needed to beat Georgia. But he was good. And so coming into this year, you can't think of Jake Fromm as anything but really good, especially showing what he did as a true freshman first year out of high school, whatever. You can, with Trevor Lawrence, say he has arm talent that perhaps Kelly Bryant doesn't have. He gives mm-hmm. us a downfield dimension that Kelly Bryant struggled with after he got hurt against, I think it was Syracuse when they lost and looked just atrocious against Alabama. So there is that element of Clemson is so stacked everywhere. Why would we limit our ceiling at quarterback, true freshman or not? Whereas at Georgia, yes, I think Justin Fields will get time. But to me, there's nothing that says Jake Fromm may struggle as a sophomore as he learns more and gets more experience. He has receivers back. The offensive line is going to look different. The running back tandem will look different. But 
there there is very little to me that says you got to play Justin Fields over Jake Fromm because he runs better. I don't I don't know. I just I think Fromm is the dude much more so than Eason was. Oklahoma or Washington, who do you think is more likely to get a playoff berth this uh this year? Washington. Okay. Um Washington is in a good position that they play Auburn the first week of the year. I think that's going to be a really good push pull between smart coaches with a lot of time to plan. Auburn but, can't catch a break, man. Why like this in this <laughs> schedule just never ends. Georgia, yeah. Bama, Georgia, UCF, and then Washington. I I'm over it. It's it's tough. It's not ideal. Um Washington's in a good position because I I generally going into the season, I think to myself where is my confidence with quarterback and defense and everything else is sort of extraneous because a lot can be overcome with a really good quarterback. A lot can be overcome with a really good defense. Washington looks more like they have both right now. Cause I don't love and trust Oklahoma's defense as, as much fun as they're going to be on offense. I think they're more susceptible this year to lose a couple games, 40 to 33 kind of thing. Those Iowa state type losses where they just make a couple mistakes and the defense can't get quick stops Whereas Washington's defense should be really, really good. The offenses that they face are not going to be crazy after Auburn. And I, I, you know, I like Browning enough. I know Washington fans are mixed on him, but I think he, he can be a B plus and coupled with that defense and Chris Peterson. I like them a lot. Cody Pickett or uh, Jake Browning. Cody Pickett or Jake Browning, Jake Browning. Okay. I think the ceiling's higher. T.S. Sopo or Jake Browning. I mean, Tuias Sopo might just be like a personal physical preference because he was like 5'4", <laughs> 270 pounds, it felt like. Um, still, uh, it's probably Tuias Sopo. Okay. I think he was more fun, and that, that goes a long way Bowl, for me. Right? I feel like yeah. Good, yeah, he was good for them. Okay. Um, three coaches that you think are not going to make it to 2019. Oh, man. I hate speculating about people losing their jobs. So I will say Bill Snyder because... He just retired. His health has deteriorated. Okay. I think he'll retire. Um, I don't think he'll be the coach next year. And could be. I mean, what is it? June 28th when we're recording this? There's a lot of time before the season. And everybody knows he wants his son to take over. And that's a really good way to determine has your... Has happened uh, before? Um, I don't remember. I don't think Steve Spurrier... Steve Spurrier's son was on staff. But it's a good way that like retirement in like a weird summer month to, to sort of go out on your own terms because there's never really a good way to just leave oh no i mean like passing your job off to your son like the head job the head job to your son um i feel like that's I never happened i'm trying there probably is an instance but i don't remember i, okay. I can't off the top of my mind so think bill about snyder it. won bill snyder won um I think as I look at uh, Lovey Smith, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't. I don't think uh, Beatty. Well. Yeah, Beatty in Kansas. I think that's we're we're near the end. Um, Lovey has to threaten a bowl game now. At this point in year, what's year three? Mm-hmm. You're going zero and nine, two and ten in the Big Ten. Um, so I'll go Lovey Beatty, Chris uh, Ash. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Barry look Odom? At the... there's, a, there's a chance Barry Odom. He bought himself some time. The Derek Dooley thing feels problematic. I'm not, I'm not sure I love that. That does feel like a 
weird Hail Mary hire when you shouldn't have to make one after one year as head coach. Uh, I think this could be the last year for Mike Leach in Pullman. Oh, is it from his yeah. tweeting or just from on-field production? I think it's the 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 totality of the Mike Leach experience. <laughs> I think there is probably an expiration date for how and long. He's done, right? I don't think he gets another job after that. I think he's probably done. Although he was Texas close to Tech. getting Tennessee. I mean, yeah, Texas, Texas Tech's going to open back up. <sighs> I I think Mike Leach's last year at in Pullman is more likely than Cliff's last year at Texas Tech. I like the strides they took on defense. Yes. I there is just something like we saw it's never a good sign when you lose like seven assistants. And that's yeah. what happened at Washington State, where I just think there is something tiresome. And I know people love those like crazy quotes about marriage advice and stuff like that. I think there is a lot more behind the Mike Leach experience than like the wacky charm that people see in him. Interesting. Yeah. Um, which non-Power 5 team interests you the most going into this year? Um, probably Boise, just because they're another one of those teams that have that quarterback defense. And that's also to say they're probably the best, but they're fun to watch. I think their their coach is an up-and-comer still. I think he's going to get a bigger job eventually. Maybe he goes to Washington State next year. Who knows? But, yeah, it's probably Boise State. And maybe, and I've I've sort of pumped this a lot, Maybe Navy. Hmm. I like I like their quarterback potential. He ran Malcolm Perry ran for almost 300 yards against uh, SMU, I believe, last year. And if Malcolm Perry can complete, and this is these are my option teams: Georgia Tech and Navy. Both are interesting to me, but Georgia Tech is not a Group of Five team. Navy, to me, because of their schedule, they're going to play in a lot of big games. They have an interesting quarterback. Their defense should be improved. I like their coach a lot. And I, I think they have the potential to be a program worth talking about all year long. Last thing, and then we'll go. How excited yes. are you about the Patriot League this fall? I Listen, I am I, on my wall right now. I have yarn connecting schools and storylines and quarterbacks and recruiting classes and hypotheticals. I, I'm always We're very excited. video calls so I can see all of it. Oh, yeah, it's, absolutely. You see, serious. Yeah, it's, it's real crazy up here. It's uh, I have no idea who's going to be good in the Patriot League because that's what it is. It's a war of attrition. When you go to Connecticut, when you go to Pennsylvania, when you go to New York, when you go to, I think Georgetown is in the Patriot League. When you go to D.C., it's just every week's a war. So for me to sit here and tell you that Lehigh or Colgate are the the class of the conference, that's me doing the reputation, the sterling, powerful, explosive reputation of Patriot League football a disservice. So it's anybody's year, but I'm I'm gonna go with my leopards. I'm gonna go with Lafayette. Can we put UConn in the Patriot League? Man, poor UConn. Poor what a, what a tumble it's been since the Fiesta Bowl and Jordan Todman. <laughs> what? That was like 17 years ago. It was that, the it, Dan Orlovsky era. Yeah, was, yeah. That was it was a simpler time a simpler when time. UConn could just take the Big East and make their way to get just shellacked by Oklahoma. They feel like a Patriot League team. I, I would go to a Lehigh, Connecticut game. Oh, yeah, <laughs> as you should, as you should. Dan Rubenstein, that's a good way to end this. Thank you so much for taking the time. We can find you on Twitter at Dan Rubenstein. We can listen to you at The Solid Verbal. Um, y'all are doing like, what, one a week for the offseason? We are to about to ramp up. But yeah, we've been doing one a week. And just so I can, for the record, and this is not a, a judgment against you. Mm. It is Steen. It's Steen. Rubenstein. Oh, 
It is. And I, I don't fault you for saying Stein. You know what's but, terrible? I've listened to hundreds of Solid Rural episodes, and well, still, he just Ty just introduces me as Dan. That's, that's true. That's fair. Okay. Yes, and I get that all the time from like radio shows I've been on many times. They ask Steen or Stein. Um, I didn't even ask. What a bad you host! Didn't even ask. No, I just I like the set. I, I'm actually not that picky about it, but it is weird for me to hear people call me Stein. Is it because it's Mark Stein? Is that it? Yeah, it's well, it's it's Mark Stein, it's Teddy Greenstein who covers Northwestern, Mm. and so I honestly don't know what it should be, but my parents told me Stein, so I've just been rolling with that. (laughs) You know, maybe three generations ago it was Stein. Who knows? But we are Steins. We are proud mistake on my end. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool. All right. Well, is there anything else that you need to plug before we get out of here? No, that's it. Listen to the Solid Verbal if you like college football podcasts, or even if you don't, we're pretty good. I would agree. All right, Dan, thank you so much. Let's talk again soon. Thank you. All right, on the line right now, his second appearance in the podcast. He was really excited about his first appearance. Thinks it was the best ever. It's my dad. Dad, how are you? I'm well. How are you, son? I'm good. Are you excited uh, to reappear? Um, you were very excited with how the last one turned out. Um, can you tell the listeners just what you thought of your inaugural debut on the podcast? Uh, based on the strong fan response, I guess that's the reason why I'm back for a second uh, appearance. So, yeah, it must have been really good. So I'm glad that everyone enjoyed what I had to uh, say. And so hopefully they'll find this just as interesting as my last uh, uh, interview with you. What do you think is going on with Atlanta United right now? I think you're seeing the holes. And I think that's part of it. So with Martinez, his broken nose, uh, he's a little less aggressive, which is one of his, uh, incredible assets is his heading ability being able to head balls either into goal or put put them into play just to, and he can't do that so it's it's he's in essence if they if they would say in football they say he's lost a step and in this case he's lost a step because that's a capability that he's just not able to utilize right now um Almiron is of course Almiron and he's just a superstar Barco is uh, not the scoring machine that we'd like. He's an excellent dribbler. I'm not sure who can move the ball more quickly than he can and uh, effectively, but his shots are just not there. And so I think there's some things they've got to look at, decide who's going to get up front to help Martinez or at least give him some uh, cover uh, until he can heal. So shows a couple things. And the other thing, too, is we watched the game uh, we could go where they drop back. I think it was. Are you talking about Saturday against the Timbers? Yeah, they they played. Uh, they dropped back, and I think they played like a five-three-two, maybe. It was it was a peculiar uh, lineup, but they really squatted down on the defense, which really hurt us. And so, if I were a team moving against Atlanta, you know, from this point. Is squat down, and that's how they scored. You know, you just put the long ball out there and let a guy, you know, almost like a uh, maybe a five-four-one or something. You just leave the guy out there on an island, and you send the ball and you let him go one-on-one with your keep. 
and and but you're going to squat down on the defense and not give them uh, shots, and so that's uh, that that's kind of hurt a little bit too. So the the long short of it is there's there's a couple things that we're just not doing quite as well as we should, and uh, just kind of where we are. And then everybody's got to get used to playing with these new faces. So there's a couple people that are uh, Nagby's out for. Uh, Two to three several months. Several months now. Um, so you've got you got a lot you got some faces that you're going to have to kind of get used to. The the defensive uh, line is fine. It's solid, but up front, uh, just kind of figure out what's what's going on there. What do you think is the best formation for this team? You mentioned a couple that they're running. What do, what do you like seeing them in? Oh, I like that five three two. That's just uh, no. I said that wrong. Uh, three five two. So they run much more midfielders than uh, the back line. So a three five two is what they run. Atlanta does on a regular basis, and that seems to be a very very strong uh, lineup. And the way with their skill sets, that seems to be the best, at least in my opinion. Okay. Do you think this team lives or dies with the way Miguel Almiron plays on a week to week basis? Absolutely. Okay. Why? What do you think that Absolutely. he does that just like dictates how Atlanta United plays every game? Because he's got two things. One is that his ball skills are phenomenal. And so Barco's ball skills are phenomenal. But what separates Almiron from Barco is his flat speed. When when it's out there and it's just a, a go, it that he can fly. He is just he can absolutely smoke down the field. So that's a uh, and, it, and you can't teach that. I mean, at some point, you know, you're going to tap out. You're going to top end at whatever your speed is, and that's pretty much it. You're not going to move a whole lot. But Almiron has that top end speed, whatever it is, almost like a, a Deion Sanders, one of these guys that just has this extra gear somehow and just can move. So Almiron, too, one of the other interesting things is you're seeing it's almost like hack-a-sack they did in basketball. They're beating him up. And they know it. And you just keep beating him up. Take the yellow card. Just keep beating on him. Knock him down. Uh, make him pay. Make him use energy getting up and off the field, uh, up and down, off the ground. So I think that's something that teams are starting to do as well. And that starts to wear on his body. Hmm. Do you think they have a home form issue? That is something that came up. Um, they have not won a game at home against a full-strength opponent since April. Um there was, I think it was against the impact where they blew them out. They want, they scored like four goals, I think in that game. And then they had the union game, but that was different because the Philadelphia union lost two players very early on. Um, and they, I think they played without them for like 70 minutes. And, uh, so that doesn't really count, but it does seem like they're not playing great at home. And it's kind of weird because, um, this is just a really great crowd and everything else, but it seems like that it's not been something that's pushed them over the top as of late. And then you have Orlando coming in, their biggest rival, who doesn't have a coach anymore. They fired their coach after like a seven-game losing streak and everything else. So they're in uh, a tumultuous time over there. But uh, we saw what happened last time where the Orlando fans were throwing stuff onto the field and really losing their minds with the way that game ended in the rain and everything else. That um, do you make anything of their home struggles? Do you have you noticed anything when you're watching them at home versus when they're away? Anything's different, or do you think it's just a coincidence that they have not won outright at home since April? Yeah, I think it's more you know uh, accidental if that's such a thing. Uh, I don't know that accidental is the right word, but uh, coincidental. 
yeah, coincidental that, you know, it just that they're, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, and they're still on top in the standings. You still have Martinez that has he's number one score. I mean, it's just, it, I don't think that it's a, necessarily a negative. It's just that's kind of where they are right now. And so you're also, that's what I get back to some of these players that are now being put into the rotation, uh, just kind of getting used to them. What do they do? How do they play? Hmm. So I don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, I don't think we're, I'm not concerned, uh, but I am aware. I'd like to see us uh, play a little bit better than, than we are. We seem to be doing really well. We just, I'll tell you the other thing is how many missed shots. I wish I knew how many shots on goal we've had because we've had a ton and how many misses. So our, our accuracy and uh, I think could be improved upon. Who do you notice that's just like there? I mean, Martinez, we know is scoring a bunch, but like, who are you seeing that you're like, ah, the shots are on goal, but they're just not following. Is there anybody in particular that you're looking at of like, they just need a little bit of luck and they're on the verge of breaking out or no? Well, I, one of the guys that I just I don't have it is Williams. Williams just doesn't jump off the page at me. He just he seems to be a little bit behind. But when he moves, he's really quick. But you got to get him to move first, and he just seems to be uh, he's not. I don't know. I like uh, Escobar is is you know he's doing a great job. I think uh, again, I think his is just getting more playtime, getting more and more playtime. Um, but I think I would stick in the kid, the young kid, and let him be dynamic. I mean, if you're going to sub him in and out, you might as well put him in there and let's let's try to – we need somebody up front that wants to shoot. That's what I'm looking for. Is, and that's the thing about Martinez. Martinez makes no bones about it. He wants the ball. He gets angry when he doesn't get the ball, which is that's what you want. You want those people that are just ball hogs and want it and they want to shoot. And – uh, they're going to put themselves in a position to score. Do you and think that's what problem Martinez, with Barco, uh, though, is that he doesn't have that trait? It seems like he's a lot more passive. Yeah, he doesn't seem to want to shoot. And I just I don't understand it. I mean, he can out-dribble anybody, but he just he seems to want to go to the 18 and then start to pull back out. And it's like, keep driving, break the box, and let him take you down. I mean, it's like, you. Uh, I don't. I don't really get it. He's. I say he can out dribble anybody, but just I uh, struggle with his uh, with his shooting. I, um, how many times he just does not take the shot? Are you worried about the midfield situation at all? I think anytime you have somebody like an Almiron, you have to worry about it to a certain extent because they're such a dynamic player. It's just not everybody has one. If everybody had a Marco, I mean a Almiron, then yeah, it would be one thing. But those other teams know that this where it starts this is the point mm. so darlington nagby he's gone for two to three months we mentioned that earlier what did you see out of him because now he's gone and they signed like the 32 year old um to come over and he'll uh, i don't think he can officially play until like mid-july i think that's they have a lot of weird rules in mls and like on loan and all this kind of stuff i'm i'm not 100 percent confident of the verbiage here but they uh they're gonna they have a replacement ready to go but at the same time, his name is uh, Eric Remedy, but um, we we will not see him for a little bit. But from what you saw of Nagby in the matches he played in this year, what what are they going to miss 
about his play, or what stood out to you when you watched him? Nagby's intense. I like him. He's he's he reminds me of a tactical player. He is very tactical. He seems to really be aware of his surroundings. He's very very engaged on the right side. Just just a solid solid player. I, I like him a lot. He is one of my favorites to watch week in week out because. He's all over the field. He'll drop back on defense. Uh, he's just—he's a solid, solid player. Great player, and uh, obviously missed. You don't see a lot of walking out of him. He's moving on to the ball or in a better position to put himself in uh, to receive the ball. What are you looking for in Saturday's game against the Lions of Orlando City? I'd really like to see us. Be consistent up front. Score some goals. I mean, I think these 1-0, we lost. If you look at the last two games, we have a 1-1 tie and a 1-0 loss. I mean, that's just, you know, why are we doing that when we've scored as many as three or four goals in a game? And we have that ability. We have that quick strike. What was interesting is in the 1-1 tie, we came out of the half and we're just pounding, pounding, pounding away. And we end up with a one one tie. Just we've got to be we've got to put the balls in the net. Is there anything else that you want to touch on with Atlanta United before we get out of here? I like I think Atlanta United is it, these are such long seasons, so you know, I think when we're playing some of the, the teams that are maybe a little bit weaker, maybe we we give some of these guys like an Almoron a a night off. This is, you know, much like baseball rotation. These spot, these bodies. It's a long season, and we're going to need them down the stretch. So my God, it's, you know, thought would be uh, guys like that give them a little bit of a blow. It's not going to hurt us. Um, you can run some other players in there, and uh, I think that's probably our, in our best interest. So I'm hopeful that that's where we'll be. Uh, we'll continue to play like we're playing. It's not like we're losing ground, and we're still the top team, but. I think we could be a little bit better, and that's, you know. So, and Tata um, is just an unbelievable coach. What a coach. Holy cow. I mean, I don't know why we just, why the USA team didn't grab him to be their national coach. Why don't what they an, have one yet, right? He, it's still open. Shoot I'd, shoot, I'd go steal him in a heartbeat. He is just phenomenal. He does, he is just such a great coach. What a great coach. And just you know, that's that's often overlooked in some of these uh, matches and games. So you like his formations he, because he's become somebody like I do. yeah, okay. He does. I do. I think they're creative. He's looking at the talent that he has, and where can I maximize the talent that I have? And so he sets up some unique formations. I, I you don't really see that five man middle. But he makes it all work. It's just it's it's really really good. And uh, of course, with Martinez, that's walking the line every time of being onside or offside. He's he's uh, you know that's what you want. So it it becomes the defense now on the opposing team is forced to have to pull their line up because if Martinez is walking the line and a ball comes over, it's a foot race. And so you don't want Martinez one-on-one with the keep. And so they have to, you know, keep him honest. But now you've got this, as soon as the, the wave or push happens, now you've got seven guys that are up front from the midfield stripe forward. 
and so it's it's a formidable offense. So it's a uh, I say he's he's a he's a sharp sharp guy. I really really like him, and I think that's part of this success that Atlanta has achieved. I think you could put another coach, there, a lesser coach, with these same players, and you wouldn't see the results that you're seeing with with, with him. He's done a tremendous job. All right, Dad. Your second appearance. It's right. done. You did it. Uh, thank you, sir. All right, Dad. I appreciate it. And uh, we, will, uh, we will talk again soon once Atlanta. Maybe after uh, this Saturday, because these games are always nuts. And I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to seeing the amount of fights and how many different people Brad Guzan uh, pisses off in this game. So um, we shall see. Uh, sounds like a plan. I'll definitely be there watching. All right, Dad. Appreciate it. All right. All right, I am now joined by the mayor of Rosita, California, and co-host of the Steel Cage podcast and writer for ArizonaSports.com. It's one of my favorite humans and one of the best voices in radio podcasting wherever. It's Derek Montia. Derek, good evening. How are you? Sir, I am not worthy of that introduction. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a bit, man. I missed having you on. It's been like two or three months. It's too long. Too long. Too long. Too long. But uh, it's good because we need to recharge. And you know what? This is a great week to talk about wrestling because as people know, it is Thursday. And Thursdays are generally the day that I talk about wrestling on this podcast up until October of 2019, where we're going to have to make an adjustment because SmackDown will be on Friday nights. And then um, it'd be weird to kind of have a raw episode and then the next day have SmackDown. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But uh, Derek, how are you, man? Mess- messing messing everything up for us. I'm yeah. good, man. And I, I'm excited for it. I think that the change for SmackDown is going to be good. I think uh, Fox is going to be a great home for them. I feel like the two shows are really going to have a chance to be well, three unique. Now. Did you see NXT is well moving three? On. Yes, that's and that's exciting yeah. too because NXT is just one of those things. Like I don't know, I I don't know how other people feel about this, but I feel like streaming content is too easy to miss. It's too easy to pass up on. But when I have to watch it and I have to DVR it and I have to get it off my DVR because I only have so much space left on my DVR. Uh-huh. It actually makes me watch it Uh, with NXT. For example, if I get to the pay-per-view and I haven't watched the few episodes leading up to it, I don't typically catch up. I just kind of watch the NXT is not a show you need to to. watch every week. Correct. But I enjoy it. I mean, it is my favorite. It's probably my favorite wrestling show that that WWE does. Part of that. I feel like SmackDown's been on fire the last month. SmackDown has been, but I was going to say the reason I think NXT gets that nod for me is because I don't watch it that often. Mm. So when I do, it's always exciting. There's always something new. Somebody's always back. There's always something that I had didn't see because I missed a couple of weeks or whatever. So NXT has that, at the very least, that excitement around it. I will agree with you, though. SmackDown has been so much fun lately, and they've been really creative with the stuff they're doing. I'm excited about the move to Fox because I feel like between... You know, I I know it's going to be the same, you know, crew working on it. I know it's not going to be drastically different. What's that? Like Kevin Dunn is going to be handling SmackDown even on Fox. Imagine so. Uh, I don't think I need to not do that. It needs to feel like a different show. It needs to feel like I'm watching like Impact Wrestling and Jace. Because guess what? SmackDown had Jeff Hardy versus Eric Young this week. So just go full out Impact Wrestling from 2010. Let's make things. Why not? Yeah. 
let's move Bobby Roode over no, here. Let's, let's get a piss Bobby on. Roode. It's time. Oh, don't talk. It's oh, time. that's rude. That's rude. Oh. That is rude. Okay. What's more, uh, rude, no, that joke or I, me I, just saying they should cut ties with Bobby Roode at this point? His robe. And the fact that that's what he's made his entire career about, a song and a robe. But, I mean, it's over, right? Eh, I don't I don't write anybody like that Okay, off And I like, he, let me be clear, I like Bobby Roode, but he has had a disastrous main roster. Just, eh. I won't say it's disastrous. I'll say it fell flat because, once again, he's a baby face on it's the main kind of, roster, which it doesn't he's work. He's a baby face. He should never be a baby first. First of all, he should never be. And that's something that TNA was committed to making him a top heel. And I would be frustrated by that because I wanted I wanted to root for Bobby Roode. I loved him as part of beer money. So the fact that they had to make him go heel and all corporate and kind of generic in that factor, it, it bummed me out. And I wanted him to always go back. But he also did a really good job of making me dislike him. And I feel like the general perception is that people dislike him. They dislike him as a character. They dislike what he does in the ring. That's the perfect kind of guy to have as a heel. It's so hard in this day and age to have people generally dislike somebody. The whole the whole basis of him being a face on the main roster right now is that song, which isn't even his song. Yep. wasn't even meant for wasn't him. Wasn't it James Storm you know, or something? No, no James, James Storm, was James Storm AJ. one. Oh, AJ. AJ yeah. Styles' song. No, uh, actually... Uh, his song was intended for uh, Tino Sabatelli Ooh, is who the guy. song. Was. Yeah, that's who it was intended for originally. And then he got hurt for a significant stint. And then when he came, uh, when, when rude came in, I think he heard it and was like, yeah, I want that. Interesting. I didn't and then know there that. was, then there was the whole Gargano Champa thing where they thought that that was for the, uh, for the NXT cruiserweight tournament and they got excited about the song and then they found out it wasn't for them. We should mention that two five live is actually good now. Shout out to Danielle Matheson, friend of the pod with spandex. She has been writing about it and she made the case a couple weeks ago on the pod about how good it's been. And, um, it's great. Like I love all those guys over there and Leo rush just debuted and you know, it's, but it, again, it's not on TV. It's on the network, and we know the ratings aren't great on the network. I just, I don't think it's going to be around a year from now, right? Like, it has to move on to FS1 or something, or it's not going to exist. I disagree, okay. because I think I think the thing with that, especially if they lose NXT, they're going to need more content on the network that's exclusive network content to keep people, you know, intrigued in buying it. I think, I, I personally, I mean... Guys like you and myself will never get over the fact that now I only have to pay nine ninety nine a month to get every single pay per view. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I was stop calling it pay per views. By the way, why are we still doing? Sorry, that? specials, yeah. network specials. Is that what I it don't is? Know, but pay per view. Anyway. That it's if it's a subscription, it's not a pay per view. No, you're right. You're right. But you're right. It's just hard to like that verbiage, as we know with the free agent stuff. Does that bother you as much as it bothers me? The way they don't understand what an actual sports free agent is because they the whole yes. John Cena stuff. He's a free agent. He can appear on both shows. That's not how it works. If you're a free agent in sports, you don't get to appear anywhere because you don't have a contract. So if he doesn't have a contract, what they meant by that was a dual contract where it's like a two-way contract where he can appear. It's like a G League NBA thing where it's like they can appear on both shows. Yeah, that's what right. that is. Not it, free free agent would have been more of him sitting in the crowd exactly. at both shows yeah. as, as a person where he's being just like courted around and everything. Yeah. Right. That's a free agent. Right, right. That kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I agree with you on that. What they do with NXT is a free agent. When they show one of the guys sitting in yes. the crowd at Takeover just chilling, mm-hmm. Keith Lee, my man, you know. Um he's going to work. But it How do you think he's going to work? Do you think they're going to tag him with Dijak and that's the reason he hasn't debuted yet? I'm concerned. Okay. 
Dijak has debuted. It was brief, Wait, has he but he had good He has been on NXT television. Yes, that. he had a match and a loss to Ricochet. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. When did that happen? That was the match where uh, Ricochet did that flip and then landed on his feet oh, and got velvet. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that match that he was actually wrestling mm-hmm. in was against Dijak. Um, I don't know. The Monstars would be amazing. I love them. I'm concerned about Keith Lee because obviously he's not the, ter- the stereotypical WWE signing, and I don't know. However, I'm not letting the whole he's not a ripped guy from the indies thing get in my way. Keith Lee is – he has charisma like nobody I've ever seen in my entire life. The whole bask in his glory thing isn't even a joke. It's just the man has such a wonderful, amazing smirk slash smile that it feels like it came off of his mouth and hugged you <laughs> and was warm and 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 smelled like chocolate chip cookies. That's what basking in his glory really is. And I mean, it's crazy, but I saw that guy for the first time. And without even seeing him wrestle, I became a fan just on the fact of the way he stood there in the ring, looking around at the audience. That's a powerful thing to say about somebody. I am not easily impressed by people and their entrances anymore. I'm not easily impressed by someone's size or whatever. You know, I typically let the wrestling match do my judging for me. And I was ready to buy a Keith Lee shirt before the dude even did one move. That's you know, that so, was Velveteen so, for me. When I first, when yeah. you first see him, you're like, "Oh my god, he's what age? Wait, what? He's 22? Right. How is that possible? Yes. Like, that's right. he's your guy that you're uh, concerned about. My biggest concern in NXT is Velveteen Dream and his main. Like, I hope he does not get called up until Vince is gone. Like, that is my that is my hope. It's not realistic, but I am terrified of Vince messing this up. Like, Velveteen Dream is so freaking good for his age his size everything like ricochet velveteen dream felt like one of the biggest deals in wrestling this year and there wasn't really much of a build as a little bit it wasn't like velveteen and alistair black like that build was still one of my favorite feuds of like the last couple of years but um yeah. dream is just a natural and you have guys like john cena already saying that that's their guy they want to wrestle and it's just uh, indie fans love adam cole but like you don't for someone like dream, he deserves a lot of credit for getting the crowd on his side so early on and just getting the like ricochet obviously is amazing, but fans were just as happy to see Velveteen dream. Like he is like, he has just crossed over so well. Like he's exceeded every expectation thrown his way already. And he's just, he's got future superstar. And I hate that word because if you look up the definition of a superstar, none of the current WWE superstars at, for wrestlers um fit that bill like it's really john cena was the last one but he's not around that much roman reigns is not a superstar it, it the average person has no idea who that is if even if they know a little bit about wrestling they don't know who that is it's probably aj styles is probably the closest thing they have to yeah i mean brock lesnar's a superstar Lesnar is yes yeah and that's it but um I'd say I'd say you'd be surprised by how many non-wrestling fans know who AJ Styles okay. is, but you're right. And uh, and I mean I don't know. I'd say I think Dream I'd has that John's... potential is basically what I was getting at. Like I think he is. Oh, I'm he's with the guy where it's I'm... like people are going to talk. Like the average sports fan is going to have a conversation. Like who is this guy? Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I think the other thing about it too is when you compare him to someone like Ricochet or Adam Cole, we as wrestling fans feel that those careers have already been established yep. and we are not surprised or impressed by the success they're having in NXT. We're merely satisfied with the fact that WWE is letting them be themselves the way that they are and they're just riding the wave of success that these guys already had on their own. Similar with Gargano and Ciampa. Mm-hmm. Those guys... They, they they kind of put them into a tag team and it didn't really fit with what they were doing. And then once they let them do what those guys do best and have been doing the best on the indies, they have been tearing the house down. So the thing about Velveteen Dream is he's just he's this in-house that this grown talent that we've seen from the beginning. He just has and it. he has. Well, not only does he have it, but I think like, OK, there's people like me that didn't really like him on the show. But at the same time, recognized, especially during several episodes, that he was the only person that knew anything about pro wrestling on that mm-hmm. show. Other people knew little bits in here and there. My watched it with their daddies and stuff like that. But when it really came down to it, Velveteen Dream, Patrick Clark, was the only person on that show at times that, like, even he was looking around like, what, you guys don't know? what? what? Oh, you know, like, so he was the only guy there that really... I don't know. I think he's the only one that really, really loved pro wrestling. And now it's showing. And it's crazy yeah, because he's playing as every other wrestler that he loved growing up. Yeah. Well, oh, and he's yeah, he on Twitter, which he has endeared himself uh, to me. Oh my God. <laughs> Incredible. Sorry, Terry. <laughs> Sorry, Terry. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I appreciate and love everything he's doing, and I'm with you a hundred percent. Uh I just I feel like the guy is is something else, and it's very cool to see the maturation of somebody like that. You know, I think that's the, that's that's one of my favorite things now about watch watching pro wrestling. It isn't so much to like watch it as a fan. I just know so many of these guys, and that's not even like a humble brag. It's just like legitimately meeting people that are human beings that are chasing their dreams, and then seeing them ascend to the levels that they've ascended at, you know, sitting next to Tommy end at a Denny's and eating freaking crap food at three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night. And now watching him be NXT champion on WWE television. These are things that I personally can't get enough of. I, I I'm almost at fault for that. Like if I've met someone in real life, I am behind them 100%. Well, I'm definitely even through the ups and downs. He just had to uh, headline a pay per view against Lars Sullivan, which nobody should have Are to do. Are we calling it a pay per view? Uh, oh, Are we calling right. it a pay- Fuck, I did it myself. Are yeah. we? Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, network no, special. But, yeah. Oh, I'm, that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me. It's the same thing to, with Ricochet, you know, buying him in and out after he won Bola and now having him be where he's at. You feel like they deserved that, but it's also like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's like watching, you know, uh, that that your family member or something like that go off. It's very cool, and I find I enjoy that now more than anything else I've ever enjoyed is being a wrestling it's fan. Cool you know, I dreams work out. It's good when they yeah. come true. I like well, that. and you, or you got, you got the guys like Young Bucks, yeah. you know, doing what they're doing and just everything that they're doing, and Cody and guys that just shouldn't be as successful as they are based on the position and what they're doing yet. They're just making the most out of the opportunity. And in the bucks case, like literally just creating a, a, a global conglomerate on their own, yeah. you know, getting, getting today was the release of their pops at, at hot topic. And you know, it's just, that's impressive for the guys. Oh, of course I did. I'm actually wearing a bullet club shirt as we're recording, but um, yeah, all ends going to be great. I'm excited. Are you going to go? I am not going to go. Unfortunately, I have a bachelor party to attend in Austin mm. that weekend. But 
I, I would definitely have been there had it not been for that. <sighs> the Bucks, man. Like, oh, this is a good question. That I, it still blows my mind that this is true. How old do you think Nick Jackson is? Um, twenty-seven years old. He's Twenty-eight. Oh, okay, twenty-eight. Isn't that insane? Oh, I feel like he's been a professional yes. wrestler for fifteen years. I know, I know, I know. So Tell young. me about it. I, so again, I mean, it's, that's that's part of that feeling. I mean, I've I've not only interviewed the Bucks more than once, but I've I've hung out with them in person Good and guys. interviewed with, with them. They're the best guys. Like they're th- like it's so funny because they're they're like jerk personas that they do in the ring. That's that's so far from what they really are. You know, it's kind of like Drew Galloway, yeah. right? Drew is Drew is an amazing person. He is literally one of the nicest human beings I've met in my entire life. He made the entire NXT bus late one time just so he could come and take a picture with us because we forgot to take a picture together when we said hey to him. Like, that's the kind of guy he is. I mean, he's he's an amazing human being. And it's just so funny sometimes to see these really nice guys be so good at being jerks in wrestling, you know, but that's what's funny about the Bucks is the Bucks are are they couldn't be kinder people at their core. I mean, I've I've met plenty of people that uh, have tried to portray an image of wholesomeness or you know kindness, but you can kind of see through it. You know, you're like, yeah, you're being nice, but I could tell that you're not always nice like this. Uh, yeah, I I don't imagine that those guys have ever been mean to anybody in their lives other than somebody they were super kicking. Other than Rick Knox and Candice like Lorraine. Okay. Yes. Yes, I, I sincerely do. I've seen Meltzer eating once again at a Denny's with How wrestlers many so many times. It, it, okay, in, in Reseda, when you go to a PWG show, you have to stand in line starting around like 5, 6 o'clock in order to get a good place in line. I have good people that like save me a spot and I get to hang out with them. But even then, you can't like take advantage of it and show up five minutes before doors open. You got to go over there and, and hang out for a while and be a decent mm-hmm. person. So, you know, it's like, you know, you're eating at 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And then you're standing in line until about eight and then the show starts and then you're there until about 11, 12 o'clock. And when you get out, the only two things in the vicinity that are open are in and out, which has a six hour line or an uh, Denny's that's in walking distance that you can go sit at and get food in a reasonable amount of time. So what's funny about the Denny's is that's where all the wrestlers typically go because they don't really want to go too far or wait too long for food after it the show. Seem like I, I've seen a lot of Bullet Club at Waffle House pictures in my life. Oh God, yes, God, yes. It really comes down to what's available. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the thing is is like when you see some of these guys and what they do. Like, man, that's the hardest part of all of this is that they have to actually like they have to maintain that look when. Uh, and I'm talking about indie wrestlers because WWE wrestlers, even they have a hard life, but they're still to a certain degree, you know, provided opportunities to eat uh, so that they don't have to go out and eat at Waffle House and Denny's at, I mean, at midnight. But for the entire SmackDown roster uh, every week. Uh, well, they, they, they go to uh, Waffle House and make pancakes for the staff, from my understanding. Really? really? Yeah, they're, 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 they, they have entirely too much fun. They do whatever they can to trade for stuff, and sometimes it involves them trading. They got, like, these armbands that say Waffle House mm. on them. They're pretty. 
They're pretty baller. Uh, but anyway, I'm a fan of Waffle House. Yeah, we, future sponsor. Yeah, you're gonna, podcast Waffle House. You're gonna have to go. You have to cook. cook. You have to go get in the kitchen and cook a little bit in order to get those. But uh, I mean, all that's I don't know, man. All that stuff's fun and like just that whole like that that stuff. Eating at Denny's at two o'clock in the morning and seeing them there, like that's one of those things that for me as a fan, kind of you know, made, made it all real for yeah. me, you know, see, seeing the pain that these guys are actually in, you know, I joked about Ricochet earlier, but when he won Bola, right. We're, we're all sitting as a group, as friends in, in and out, we're eating, we're having a good time. We're chatting. We're talking about how much we enjoyed the show. <laughs> and here comes Ricochet bag across his shoulder, limping across the street, walking from the venue to in and out, which isn't very close. It's, it's a good, decent amount of like, it's not across the street. It's like a mile yeah. away or so. And uh comes walking up. <laughs> like, we just see him, like, through the window. Hey, is that Ricochet over there walking this way? Yeah, that's totally him limping across the street by himself right now. You know, and then he comes in, and, like, we went over and opened the door for him and kind of embarrassed him a little bit and, you know, laughed it off. But, like, to see these guys after a show in the condition that they're in, how pain, how much pain they're in. And like that all by himself, like he didn't even have any friends with him or nobody or nothing. You know what I mean? He's just, he's just walking around the streets of Reseda with a bag slung over his shoulder. Like he's some sort of homeless person. It's he was the one and only, he was the one and only he was, that was a good, good line. But you know, like that, that's those moments for me where I've seen those guys in, in reality that makes you go, damn, this is not, this is not a fun business at all times there's a lot of there's a lot of fame in it there's a lot of adulation you get your moment but then after your moment there you are walking down the street of receipt by yourself with a bag slung over your shoulder you know what i, I mean like it's nxt like hero he's basically like a superhero right. like he's an avenger right. that's essentially what oh he is. my god he's better than most avengers he's okay. better than hawkeye yeah i would agree Let's let's be yeah. real, you know. But yeah, you're right, and I mean, to that's the ups and downs of this business, and that's it's good to see where he's at for him. And he's another young right, guy, right? But uh, right, yeah. Who was the coolest uh, indie guy that you've t- had the privilege of getting to know and talk with a lot? I I would say, oh, that's a good question. I would I would say, aside from Drew, because Drew would Drew is my top person, mm-hmm. and I mean, I know he's not an indie guy, but. When we became friends, it was when he was an indie guy, you know, and indie chops. Like, I think he he came in, obviously not like that. The chosen one, Vince's guy. And then, uh, he kind of switched gears. Like the social outcast stuff. I think that, uh, (laughs) not many people can come back from that, but, uh, he did and he's in ridiculous shape and, uh, I'm happy for him. Me too. I'm not happy Uh, now, but, um, no, but you know, whatever. whatever. (laughs) I I, I also, I also, uh, I like Sammy Guevara a lot. I give him a whole lot of shit, but that guy, I think he's, I think he's going to be a big star in wrestling. I sincerely do. And, uh, he's just one of those guys. I don't know. There's something about, there's something about seeing guys cut their teeth in in PWG and, and kind of get over with that crowd and work in front of that crowd. And I like a perfect example was someone like Tyler Bate. And I don't know if a lot, not Tyler, excuse me, uh, 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 Bateman, Jason, Tyler Bateman. Is that his name? Jason Bateman. Bateman Tyler. No. no, no. Yeah. No. Who is, uh, right. are you talking about right. GC three? 
Uh, no, I'm not talking about him either. I'm talking about, I believe his name, if I am not mistaken, I'm I'm Googling it now. It's Tyler Bateman. Yeah, he's a wrestler. Tyler his name Bateman? is Tyler. I have no idea who this is. Bateman. Yeah, okay, so he has a very, um, I don't know. He looks like Marty uh, Skrull cosplaying. Or he looks yeah, like cosplaying yeah. as Marty Skrull. He look. He's like the dude. He's like the main character from There Will Be Blood. Basically, is what he's his whole gimmick kind of thing is. He's got a weird eye and stuff. Kevin he Thorian runs around a little bit. Yeah, sure. I guess uh, not that mystical, but along those lines. And I'm just using him as an example of somebody that I've heard of, and I've heard a lot of people say good things about. And then I saw him, and not to bury the guy, but he just didn't do anything for me. You know, he's one of those guys that when you see him wrestling alongside of other people on the card, you're like, yeah, that dude didn't belong on this card at all. He's not, he's not ready to be here. Right. Can we call that? And then there's some rule. Sure. That's a good, that's a, that's a good rule. I like that rule. Um, but then there's, you know, like Sammy and Sammy is just one of those guys that from the very first time I saw him, he has impressed me in ways I can't even uh, can't, can't even quantify. I mean, I, there's some other guys that I could put in that category. Flash Morgan Webster. He's another guy that I absolutely loved the minute that I saw him. Now he was just in that, you know, NXT UK tournament yep. and he had amazing showing every one of his matches in that tournament was my favorite match of the tournament. Uh, it makes you feel deep down inside, like, it wasn't a fluke that night when I saw him and kind of fell in love with him. When my crush started on him, it's not like it was for no reason. It's well warranted. That guy's awesome. You know, uh, speedball Bailey. That's another guy that I could think of that. Not all, not a lot of people have seen, but, uh, the first time I saw him, I was like, are you kidding me? This guy is in PWG. And then five minutes later, I was like, I love you speedball. I want to buy your shirt. <laughs> well, that's you know, like that. I don't even say I love you speedball. Well, I mean, you can, but it depends on how you want to be perceived, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people in L.A. yelling, <laughs> I love you, speak. Anyway, so I was just part of the crowd. Right. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, he's he's a good he's, – he's just one of those guys that made me feel, you know, made me feel something special. And I, I – when you see those type of people and they make you feel that they invoke that emotion in you when you're watching as a wrestling fan, you kind of aren't surprised when you see them go on to have greater success, you know? Um, I'll say like going back to what I was saying where I almost back someone to a fault, uh, rich Swan is one of those guys that a lot of people have a lot of negative opinions about. However, I really have an opinion on him. Well, it's, it's, it was a domestic violence situation yeah. where a lot of people felt like something happened and it's funny how many people just instantly form opinions based on it. Yeah. It wasn't a good look. Don't get me wrong. The story. Hold on one second. Your dog is obviously not a fan either. No, my dog is look at dogs are racist. First of all, true. Uh, and, and they are not fans of my decision at all. This is, this is what happens when I go on Twitter and try to say that I like rich Swan. It's the same thing. I can't even get my point across because a bunch of people are just yelling at me, but, uh, you know, it's, it's like that. I know him personally. I know Sue young personally. I have the utmost respect for the both, both of them. And it kind of sucks because yeah, on one side, like speaking as a, as a stranger to these people, I could see their concern about a domestic violence kind of situation. And, and, you know, whether or not the, the, the a person that it was perpetrated against is okay with it or says it's okay afterwards, you still have that, you know, concern that something wasn't 
on the up and up, or maybe she's being forced to say that or whatever, yeah, you know, just don't have the but information it's different. And I'm not going like, right. to, I just don't know. Right. Like, it's okay to just say, you don't know. Like it's not, if that's the, if, if it's the worst of the worst, then yeah, fuck him. Like it's, that's that simple, but yes. it's like, I don't know. Yes. Like, I'm not going to just, right. we just never got a clear answer as to what happened there. Like we, Rich Swan knows oh, and his wife knows that's it. All we, all we know is, is WWE wants to distance themselves yeah. from that. Stuff. And anything like that, that's really been happening has been something that they've tried to distance themselves from. Uh, it, it's different if it's old Jeff Hardy getting a DUI again, because that's just Jeff. <laughs> but when other people get into serious, you know, law enforcement situations, then whatever, you know, who, who cares if Jeff almost killed himself and whatever. Uh, but I mean, story. that happened in like a day and it wasn't even a big deal. It's insane. Yeah, that just it's gone, just Jeff being Jeff. Just and then I was like, I was like, oh, man, because Matt even turned on him and Rebby even turned on him. And they both were like, yep, we tried to warn him. We don't want to be a part of him. He's not part of our lives. Sometimes your brother's just your brother, but doesn't mean it should affect your career. And then next thing you know, everything's fine again. And he's United States champion. I love the world's party, a crazy man. place. He's so good. Um, I, uh, my buddy Kaz, a lot of people know Kazim, uh, on, on Twitter, we were talking about the merits of, of Jeff Hardy. He's a big Jeff Hardy fan. He likes him. I don't really see somebody like him deserving the opportunities that he's had. And I think that's really what it comes down to. I think you see when he comes out, he's super over. He's universally beloved. Like that guy is just, there's something about him where fans are just, especially kids are going to gravitate towards face paint, the way he moves in ring, like his mannerisms, everything about him is just like, it's fun and it's just enjoyable. And there's a, there is a little bit of nostalgia there, I guess, but like, I don't know. He's just an over guy. And like, if I don't know, he could come back 10 years from now and I think people would still be excited to see him now, Matt Hardy. That's a yeah. totally different thing, but um, right. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I like having him around. He's, he's just good. And he's just a good natural oh, baby face. And we don't have many of those in the WWE right now. Well, it was, it was their, it was kind of their class, if you will. It was that, it was that whole like class that should have kind of been around to usher in and be the next like legends in the business. And the problem is, is so many of them fell off and so many of them got injured yep. and so many of them just don't wrestle anymore. Despite the fact that like, when you look at their age compared to the age that like Hogan and Macho Man and Undertaker and other people were doing high level main event matches at, you're like, yeah, Angle, why are you in a suit, man? Come on, <laughs> you know. But it's well, a matter a of that. a he can't cut a right. promo without just like fumbling through everything, and b like he can't walk. Yeah, and he can't move his yeah, neck it's either. It's not great. Uh, he should uh, not be wrestling. I didn't it, enjoy the WrestleMania part with Kurt Angle. Ronda was no, awesome, and, and the Kurt stuff was not good. Yes. Like Undertaker well, the same I'm not, way. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that either of them get out there anymore. Yeah. It was just like when I was a kid and I would watch WCW and I had zero interest in watching the main events mm. because it would be like a six-man tag between Lex Luger, Sting, and, you know, Big Show versus Macho Man. And, Ho and I'm yeah, like, I love the Cruiserweights. Oh I was a big Ravens flock guy. I love Billy oh, Kidman. I loved Juventus. Yes. Yeah. Those yes, are my dudes. Yes. Mm -hmm. GDP, yeah. um, everything that was going on with Dean Malenko and Chris Jericho. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I remember I remember specifically I, I didn't want to miss any mm -hmm. of it, 
But I remember the first two hours of WCW's Monday Nitro was what I watched. Mm-hmm. And then the last hour was, eh, I'll get to it if I can. And if not, I'll record Dude, it and Thunder. watch it tomorrow. Who was watching Thunder in the 90s? Me? Yeah. Me? So good. Me? Still my favorite intro. Oh, so good. Love Thunder. It was a good intro. Yeah. Remember when Pyro was, was a stable of professional wrestling? and Should have been Glacier show, man. Love Glacier. I think he lives in Atlanta. Uh, um, I saw him. Uh, I saw him at Joey Janela's spring break last year. Look? It was amazing. Oh, he looked okay. great. And they did the entrance. They had lasers and stuff mm. and snow falling. It was great. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, professional wrestling is the best. Um, sometimes it's it not. It really best, is. Though. Like Monday Night Raw this no. week. Did you watch it? I did. Okay. What did you think? I, I I have to watch it every week. Unfortunately, I don't know how people watch it, it live now. I like I've never oh, understood yeah, how people no. do that. <laughs> no, no. Well. Because it's fun to like chat with people online. So I meet. Uh, the only thing I miss is that I can't live tweet stuff going on anymore because I specifically wait at least an hour before I started. So that way I don't ever have to sit through a single commercial break and I have other yep. fast forwarding opportunities to get exactly, through. Like you know, Taya comes on the screen. You're like, oh, don't need this. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Bailey and Sasha. Oh, are we doing this again? All right. Fast forward. I know where this is going in three oh, weeks. See. I, I I'm glad I didn't fast forward through it that so because I didn't think it was well, bad. Here's the problem with it, it's we already know there's no stakes here, and professional wrestling is at its best when there's just when, you need stakes in these kind of things. Like there, we know for a fact that they've gone back and forth on this heel turn, face turn, everything. Like Bailey's been beaten up, Sasha's turned on her like seven times in the last year, and then they're friends again. There's just no comeuppance here there's no continuity there's no plan it's clear that like they want to eventually have a big match between the two of them but they don't know how to get there and they aren't clear in their direction which unbelievable for this company to not have a long-term plan for something like this but it's just i like these two wrestlers individually like sasha still one of my favorites but like it's just i know it's not leading they've lost my trust basically so it's like i'm not going to get emotionally invested in this feud because They've gone down this road nine times and then changed their mind. It's the same thing with Nia Jax from this October where Nia Jax dropped Alexa Bliss in one of my favorite endings to a Monday Night Raw last year. And the next week she was friends with Alexa again and they just dropped it all together. And then she was like doing that weird Enzo angle, which apparently was going to end in Enzo hooking up with Alexa Bliss. According to Enzo, he's revealing all kinds of stuff in the last week or two. He is just everything he like you ask him anything he's going to give you some kind of crazy answer or honest answer whatever but i just we we just know how they treat this women's division on raw at smackdown are killing it like it's amazing the difference between how well things are working for the women's division on smackdown versus raw raw is a dumpster fire outside of ronda rousey it's all bad and Alexa Bliss, my well, girl Alexa Bliss. Smackdown, Smackdown, first of all, has done a better job at like treating the women's division like an actual division. They have multiple women's storylines going on. They don't see the need to really keep, you know, constantly putting them together in six man tags like Raw well, constantly Smackdown does. does do but they had a main event of that like a couple weeks ago. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that they don't on occasion because you still got to highlight the division and you still got to have matches like that. 205 Live does it. Everybody does it. It's just a matter of you can't have all of your feuds wrapped up in one thing like Raw constantly does. Going back to what you're saying, though, I disagree about Sasha and Bailey. 
I probably stand on the opposite side from you. Uh, to give you an example of that, I bought a Bailey shirt at one o'clock in the morning after watching this whole segment. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, it's you a it was a Teespring tag, right? shirt. No, 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 no. I'm going to wear it proudly oh. because it's not a WWE shirt. It is a parody shirt, and it's Bailey's I'm a hugger shirt. But instead of saying I'm a hugger, it says you ain't shit. <laughs> and then on the back where it normally says it's Bailey, it says it's Bailey, bitch. And I knew I had to buy that shirt instantly. That was an instant purchase. There was no there was no processing of it. It was just like, that has to be on my body. Here's the money in my pocket now. Now, the reason why I enjoyed this so much is because I loved how Bailey just attacked Sasha without really provocation. Yeah, they had their moments of arguing during the match or whatever, but there was no big catalyst that caused Bailey to start tacking Sasha afterwards. It was just rabid dog, I fucking hate you kind of stuff. And I loved that about it. I loved how it's like, nope, this is happening right now. We're getting it on. And I liked the fact that it ended up becoming so brutal on Bailey's end of her doing what she did to Sasha. I loved the you ain't shit line. I loved all of it. I think that this whole thing has the opportunity to finally get Bailey and Sasha back on track. You see it as it going nowhere. A lot of people probably see it as it going nowhere. What I see it is, is now they can do a clear defined Sasha heel turn where Sasha can go back to being the boss because the boss character that was successful and worked for Sasha cannot be a face. It has to be an arrogant heel that thinks she's better than everybody. That's the only way the boss character can work. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as Bailey goes, Bailey doesn't need to get reset back to the Bailey character. Bailey needs something to progress her out of it. Bailey needs to grow up. Bailey needs needs to to mature. Some character who rents the ring and thinks she can just tag herself in to a wrestling match that she was not in to begin with and then was confused to find out. Calm down. Calm down. I just said I'm buying a Bailey shirt. You think I'm going to stand here and listen to you besmirch her good name? She's the dumbest professional wrestler right now. What she is, is she's a child, is what the character is. That's the problem, right? So the thing is, is that. WWE needs to, it's just kind of like their refusal to progress Roman Reigns as a character. They need to not hold on to these people just because they're popular with children and not let those characters advance and have depth to them just because they sell a lot of merch to kids and kids like that. Now, I will say that there's always, always, always been a character like, uh, you know, like Roman Reigns. What's funny is, is everybody always wants to compare John Cena and Roman Reigns to Stone Cold or The Rock because they always want to compare them as being the top guys and the biggest wrestler in the company. But that's bullshit. Stone Cold was not over with the children. Stone Cold was over with the majority of the fan base that were adults at the time. If you want demographic. Right. If you want to compare them to somebody, I would almost say it's more fair to compare them to the undertaker at the time, because the undertaker in the late nineties to me was the one guy in WWE that all the kids were into. That's when the one that or like when Hogan. you went to Kmart, like Roman well, Reigns is yeah, right but behind Hogan about, in the most uh, consecutive WrestleMania main events yeah, in history. Right. Like, well, Hogan, obviously I'm just talking about that middle, that, that bridge in between because oh, people always say, Hogan, Stone Cold, John Cena, Roman Reigns. And it's like, no, those aren't the same type of characters. Stone Cold is was the biggest guy ever, and so was The Rock. But those aren't that. 
those guys were guys that were like universally popular based on their like adult appeal. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was, it was more of like Undertaker. It was, that was more of the one that like I remember because I was in my teenage years. And I remember that being the one that like younger fans were into and that I really wasn't because I, wasn't I found either. the Undertaker. I've never been an Undertaker guy. Well, I was when I was younger. Uh, like, see, when I was like eight and nine years old, when they had the arcade game out, I used to like want the purple gloves. And I used to like like that was when I was into Undertaker, like early 90s, mm. not late 90s. You know what I mean? Even though he had some classic stuff and I enjoyed some of the things that he was in, he wasn't my guy. He was usually the the foil to my guy. You know, he was usually the guy I was rooting against through the late nineties, which was a perfect place for him to be as, as his age dictated at the time, you know? Um, yeah, I'm just saying in general, going back, you, you got guys that they make for the kids and which Bailey, fine. like it's a smart thing. It sells merch. It's good for business, that kind of thing. But there has to be more. There has to be, like you said, more depth to these characters and just, they have they've had no idea what to do with Bailey outside of right. she's a hugger. Like that's it. Now, and she loses a lot of matches. Now, we'll see. Okay, now they're going to send her to therapy. So who do they have to send her to go see a therapy? Doctor Shelby. It's got to be Doctor Shelby Chase. It's got to be, and he's got to try to get her to hug. And it's got to be the thing that like breaks her. It's got to go the opposite way. It's got to be that she'll never hug again now because of going to see Dr. Shelby. She can't go the way that Kane and and Daniel Bryan went. But what's funny is it's so relevant to the time because Dr. Shelby can even throw in her face of his success with his two other wrestling related patients. And they back together this week too. I could show her on SmackDown what happened just this week. It's all perfect. The timing is perfect, but the need there needs really to be for this to be the moment for Bailey to break out, not a heel turn just for her to be different. I mean, I I've been playing this wrestling game on my phone. It's a uh, muscle hustle. It's a, it's like a, it's kind of like a slingshot tabletop, you know, uh, wrestling game as far as what the gameplay itself is. But then you have this stable of wrestlers and you can like, you know, uh, level them up and you can make them go face or heel. And there's all sorts of fun aspects to it like that. And it's funny because one of the innocent, like female characters on there would goes heel looks kind of like Bailey, but Bailey, if she would be evil. And I think maybe that has put this thought process into my brain, but I think we just need, you know, we need a metamorphosis of Bailey. We need her to come out on the other side of this story as being something different and a more mature version. Even if she's not heel, you know, just a more mature version of her character. You know what I mean? And that that's what a lot of characters need to grow up. And if they don't, they get stuck in that, in that, like purgatory. that box. Yeah. That purgatory, right. Of being like kids characters in a way, but really popular kids characters. Uh, and that's, that's the John Cena with the bright shirts. You know, when you listen to John Cena, talk about how badly he wanted to turn heel. Remember when he said he had like 75 pairs of matching, you know, freaking boots and tights or whatever that he had made so that he could be heel and he could have all this stuff. Like the dude desired something more and they just kept him boxed in that good old boy, John Cena, you know, uh, purgatory. And it's, it's, it's great for the company. And in some cases, yeah, it's great for the performer. Like John Cena can go out there, knock it out of the park, probably without even batting an eye about what he needs to say and then go back and count his money, you know? But at the same time, it's probably not as like creatively fulfilling as he want wants it to be, you know. But you just get a point to a point that you're just like, well, I'm John Cena now. I'm the I'm the kids character guy. That's what I do, you know. 
Um, and and Roman Reigns is kind of in that same purgatory. How excited you know, and, and Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley being the precursor to Brock Lesnar. You know, I'm not excited at all about that chase. <laughs> I don't know why you would even ask me. I don't know why you would ask me. Um, I love the Braun Strowman fan base right now. Like they've talked themselves back into it. It's it's happening. The Braun Strowman world title run. He's finally gonna be the guy. Like I'm so done with that conversation. And we saw this week again, Lashley might even be ahead of him in this pecking order. Like it, we're still getting Lesnar versus Reigns at SummerSlam for the title. This is still leading to Roman Reigns winning. Like the only way this ends in a Braun Strowman title reign is him cashing in mid-match and screwing over Roman Reigns or just cashing in on him after a brutal match where Reigns finally beats Lesnar. Why not? Why not? I would love that. Like a chicken shit heel. I would see Roman. I would see Strowman just coming out at the start of the match and being okay. in. But then you still That's have, have Reigns win, Strowman or you have to move on from Reigns because he had the next time he faces Lesnar, he has to beat him. Like he cannot lose three straight uh, main events against Lesnar in 2018. It just can't happen. Strowman, Strowman needs to win the belt, and and Brock needs to go away, and Roman well, and Strowman Lesnar need to. Is away. He just should not have the belt anymore. Like, how is Kurt Angle not like? I heard this on RBR this week, and it's a good point of like. Remember when like CM Punk just left with the belt and then like the next week mm-hmm. they get, they had a new champion crowned and it was Rey Mysterio briefly and then like Cena won it from him in really devastating fashion. But um, then the next week CM Punk came back and it brought him back. He's like, you're not the real champion. I beat you. This is my belt. This is the real thing. And you're you just have a phony belt and all that kind of stuff. Like, why are we pretending that there is just like no universal champion and Brock Lesnar doesn't exist? And it's it's OK that he just doesn't have pay-per-view title matches anymore I, I just i hate it he's never competed on raw since he's returned it's been like five years now he's never had a match on raw are we not going to talk about robert franklin waterfall reservoir lake river lashley and his role in all of this and how he got to the I'd front really rather so fast about lashley i would prefer that if we do address him that we address him by his full okay. name robert franklin waterfall reservoir lake river lashley at least that's what his wikipedia said the other night so that's what i will call him from this point going forward now, I don't understand how he got into the mix of all of this so fast, but I did, in, I did like the shooting on each other between uh, him and, and Roman. You did? It was like watching. I okay. did. I did. Do you know why? Because it's like watching two people you hate get in a fight. Okay. Have you ever seen two people you disliked get in a fight in front of your face, like at a bar or at a public setting where other people then turn and look at them and it's an awkward situation? It's a really good feeling. Okay. I don't know how to describe it other than it's just it's just it's just wonderful because it's like you could care less about either of these people. So you really just want to see them just knock each other down a peg with each word that comes out of their mouth. And you want it to be as embarrassing as it humanly can to both of them. And you hope at the end of the night that both of them get arrested and go to jail. Except this that's what Monday night was like for one me. One of them being the universal champion. It ends with them losing to the revival is what ended up happening on that's raw true. chase. Yes. <laughs> right. For a brief moment that's in time. A, that's a, that's a fate worse than death. If you One really might think say about that it, it was a week of reviving for the revival. Oh, stop. I'm going to leave <laughs> right now. Mid podcast. I'm sorry. Um, Do you know what? Raw no, really that's needs, right. though? I know what they need. They the need to the have. No, I was going to say they need to have Roman and Strowman in a match. No, and then they need we already to figure did out that for like six Kevin, months last no, year. We get Kevin Owens involved. Then we bring in Rowan. 
from the Bludgeon Brothers, and then we can have a four-way match between Roman, Strowman, <laughs> Owens, and Rowan. And that would be the best thing ever. That would be, yeah. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? I've always wanted to watch Eric Rowan do professional wrestling. It's one of my favorites. Nobody's ever said no. that. But The Miz did, you know what, man? The Miz, my guy, he did everything in his power to get them over this week. Like, The Miz deserves <laughs> the, just, he made, like, no one cares about the Bludgeon Brothers. It's not working. They're not over. It's just, they're not interesting. The hammers are goofy. Like, they're just, it doesn't work. And I like Luke Harper a lot, but this is just not working. And the Miz did everything in his power to get them over this week. So shout out to him. The Miz deserves, like, the, the Courage Award this week. He, he went above and beyond. Company man through and through. Yeah, Miz is always awesome. Yeah. Miz is never not awesome. Listen to that. The only Dave problem Meltzer, I have, the Miz is actually I, awesome. I here here's my one problem with the Miz, and it'll be brief, is that I just feel like since he's been on SmackDown, he's like overdoing it. He did exactly. Hand, and the it's, New Day have been terrible for him, so I'm glad that they're not interacting anymore. And like the yeah. Miz Jitsu and like the headband and stuff, like that had to stop. So I'm glad yeah. they moved on yeah. because the Miz way over yeah, the top it's just not funny and he's the butt of these jokes and his whole character now is he's established himself as a top heel like he should not be doing those goofy segments like he should be past all of that and the new day are funny but like someone like that's the thing with comedy is someone has to be at the butt of every joke and the miz when he works the new day he is getting like they are getting the laugh last laugh on the miz and that can't happen because the miz is gearing up for the biggest feud of the year and pro wrestling on the main roster like the Miz Daniel Bryan is going to tear the house down it's going to have the most emotional resonance of anything on this roster right now like that's what we're all waiting for the fans were chanting right like to start off uh his segment again this week like the Daniel Bryan stuff is there like everybody wants to see it we know it's coming it's probably going to happen at SummerSlam like the Miz should be winning matches he should be taken seriously like he like you can only keep him and daniel bryan away from each other for so long before you finally cash in on this but like he needs to stay away from the comedy stuff and he needs to win matches and he needs to be serious and the headband and everything else has got to go i agree with everything you just said there we go um do you think i also think i also think people need to cool it on the daniel bryan stuff just because we're going to get all of it eventually well, it's just like you know race. what i mean like, like no one wanted to see him return and few with big casts like, it's just in the Bludgeon Brothers now. It's just, uh, can we find somebody else? This roster's stacked. But see, here's the problem, though. Here's the problem is what, what you're saying is merely just a matter of them trying to utilize him in different ways while they can. Because once they put him up to the Bludgeon or main event level, they can't have him feuding with the Bludgeon Brothers. Yeah. They can't they can't go back and do this fun Kane stuff. All of this stuff is just fun. I enjoyed that on SmackDown. I don't need it to be one of those things where they win the tag titles and have them for a year. I don't, I don't even really need them to win the tag titles, but if they do, I'm also not, that's not the worst thing that happens either. I mean, SmackDown's tag division is pretty well stacked, but it could use something kind of different like that. It's like SmackDown is the opposite of raw where all their tag teams make sense and are actual people that seem like they're a team. Raw is a bunch of like mismatched Goofy people guys. like that got, it's like they drew out of a hat yeah. and got put together, you know? So the, the, that, that factor makes them different on SmackDown. It makes it cool. There's the nostalgia factor. Plus, come on, man. Kane's going to be a mayor. He's going away forever. <laughs> Kane isn't going to have a chance to have a fun last run with anything other than this. That's because nobody's going to want to see him. 
in any other capacity other than this. So it's kind of like with Big Cass, where it was Daniel Bryan more doing it for Big Cass's sake than doing it for Daniel Bryan's sake. It's a matter of them trying to give the rub to guys that simply by getting in the ring with Daniel Bryan, fans will see them in a different light. But when it comes to like this, this is just fun stuff that they're not going to be able to do once they get to that serious Daniel Bryan championship run. Once they start having a feud of Daniel Bryan and Samoa Joe, a feud of Daniel Bryan and Miz, a feud of Daniel Bryan and Shinsuke, all of that stuff, they're, they're, once they get down that track, they can't take two steps back and have fun with Daniel Bryan for a moment because people then will lose their shit. Right. So at least for now, they got to knock out all of this little they're stuff. They're keeping him strong. Because, he's winning the matches, that kind of thing. So right. they're not like screwing well, him up or anything, but it's right. just, yeah. It's also it's also like he's a new guy, yeah. though. You know what I mean? Like they're approaching it not like they got one of their major superstars back from a lengthy injury. They're treating it like we just signed Daniel Bryan. Right. And this is the exact type type of thing they would do with someone that they just signed. It would, especially someone that was a name that they could utilize well, that you know, name. They would do there to is they would just make have other him names. appear every other three weeks, like they do with Andrade and Sanity and everybody else. Like they would just appear yeah. every now and then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, last thing, and then we'll go. Um, what is your favorite thing in wrestling right now? Um, my f- favorite thing in wrestling right now is Dalton Castle. Oh wow. You yeah, hear my take Dalton, on Dalton Castle. Castle then. No, well, let's hear it. No, I'm, I mean, I think he's actually bad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not interested. Have, have you been watching him lately, or was this a fa- opinion form? I never really got it. And it's just, there's so much talent now. And maybe part of it is that ROH is just really depleted these days, that it's <laughs> maybe the people he's working with, but he just doesn't feel like a world champion to me. He's He's fine. I don't know. Dalton Castle to me is one of those guys that the gimmick is far more popular yep. than I think he thought it was going to be. Um, so he's now kind of stuck in it, but he does a good job at, at adapting it. I think that there was a lot of stuff he did that if if that would have caught on, I mean, I don't even. There was this car a, a character he used to do in Chikara, where he was like a billionaire like yacht kind of guy <laughs> that's the best way i can uh to explain it oh dalton yeah castle pre dalton castle <laughs> yeah but no uh-huh. i mean i understand i understand where you're coming from with that and i just i think differently i think of um how talented he really is as a person and i really think the sky's the limit for him i we'll i i was really impressed by ring of honors conference call the other day when they had him and um Emma, aka Tennille Dashwood, on there. Big fan of her, uh, and they just they they. I'm a big fan of both of them. I thought they both did an excellent job at being representatives for the company on that on that phone call. I mean, I really did. Uh, by the way, Dalton Castle's name was Ashley Remington oh, wow. when he was in Chicago. Okay. Yeah, pretty amazing. But I can't wait. For I don't know. I just felt from him, so he can defend it all. In sure, I'm just not a fan. That, he's he's fine. He's whatever. I I get you. I just I don't know. He's to me. He's that. He's that perfect combination of somebody who actually has wrestling talent, but isn't a high flyer. Isn't you know just he's just strong. He just does suplexes and stuff really well. But he he has the character down really well, and it's it's a lot of fun to watch. I enjoy it. Okay, my favorite thing right now is this is this is going to sound crazy, but it's really just you know I enjoy what SmackDown is at this point. Like that just I enjoy that I at least have one WWE show every week 
that I can, like the crowd was super hot for everything on SmackDown this week. It's a breeze to get through. It's two hours and doesn't feel like two hours. I'm not looking at my watch. I don't want to fast forward anything. Like it's just, it's a nice, it's a nice week. I wish that Andrade Cien Almas would be used better. And I wish that they would not just have guys appear every now and then. And Ty Dillinger has got to do something with his hair because whatever that it is this week is somehow worse than what it usually is. But, um, it's it's hard to complain about SmackDown these days, and I'm glad because SmackDown was always like my favorite because it's two hours and it just it's usually fun, and different, and everything else. So I'm I'm glad that we're ma- we're we're moving in the right direction. But also, I I need AJ Styles to be wrestling matches on this show again. It's been like three months. It's kind of fun that they're that they're doing that makes it feel a little special, oh doesn't my it? God, if I hear like oh, but that's part of the appeal and the aesthetic with Brock Lesnar, he's never there. He's a mystery man. No, it, it doesn't work because Seth Rollins is like, they're, it just, I, I can random. You know what's worked for? I'll say this. What it's worked for is the Intercontinental title has prestige again. But that's what happened when The Miz was running it for all of 2017, where he was the only but guy you know, around. Yeah. Saying, but it was the same thing because 2017, Brock Lesnar had it too. I'm just saying the lack of having the major title, the quote unquote heavyweight title, the world title, universal title there on the show makes that next title kind of just like anybody just like anybody stepping up in wrestling it makes that next title just feel that much more prestigious so at the very least it's done that with that and the, the you know the fruit stripe belt or excuse me the what is it the 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 fruit what oh man i've never heard this they call it the fruit roll-up belt the fruit roll-up belt because it looks like it's no 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 the universal belt oh, because it looks gotcha. like it's made of yeah, it's not a good yeah. belt. That's actually nice to not see that red, awful leather that they have on there. Yeah, right. so that's good. Well, and just not to see it yeah. in general. I mean, it's one of those things that its absence, just like Brock Lesnar's absence, makes it a special attraction. I, I think it needs to be yeah. there. Like, And also, you want your top title around often. I just... I understand, but do you sit around and think about how much you're missing out on title fucking matches with how many they have in WWE right now? You mean to tell me that the five or six title matches that you get a month in WWE isn't enough for you, Chase? Why are you so title match greedy? I I am, but I also just want Brock Lesnar wrestling on Raw every week. Ew, that's gross. Nobody wants that. Come on. Have you seen some of the stuff they're putting on television on Raw this every week? Don't. I'm okay. I, well, I'll, I'll, if we could cut Titus worldwide and just have a Brock Lesnar segment every week instead, it's a win. See, I uh, I put together a little bracket the other day of what trios teams could potentially exist, and one thing I found that I like better than Titus worldwide is the is is the possibility of Ricochet, Tazawa, and Apollo no. Cruz just being together. No. Yes. That's like one of my biggest fears in wrestling is that Ricochet is going to be promoted to 205 Live. Oh, no. I, I'm not talking about 205 Live. I'm just talking because Paulo Cruz isn't on 205 oh, Live. Right. I'm just talking about the being he a faction. Be on Live, but he's a lot bigger than 205, right? There's a lot. Yeah. Yes, he is. I'm pretty sure he's significantly Buddy Murphy doesn't bigger, look but... like he should be, but he actually is pretty close. So, And also, shout yeah. out to Buddy Murphy. He's awesome. Yeah. I put him in the mighty. There you go. See? Derek Montia, I'm glad we were able to do this tonight, man. It's good to have you back. Thanks for having me, man. I always love talking wrestling with you. It's a, it's, it's a blast, even though we don't agree on Dalton Castle, and I don't know how I'm ever going to appear on this show ever again knowing yeah, that. I don't either. But, hey, you know what? It's not oh. all negative. You know who I love? Juice Robinson. He is fantastic. I don't. What is happening I know, here? Right? Juice Robinson, love that guy. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Can I go now? <laughs> 
I want to talk about Juice Robinson. Why? He's great. Because I don't like Juice Robinson. No, he is not great. Juice Robinson. Actually, yeah, you know what? I will say some of the promos I've seen him deliver lately is fire. But that's easy for New Japan guys because they're allowed to curse all they want. And that makes their promos so much cooler. He's just good, man. He is good. Robinson's good. Um, Derek Montia, we can find you on Twitter at cap underscore caveman. We can listen to you on the Steel Cage podcast. Is there a new one this week? Uh, there is a new one this okay. week, yep. And we also have a new snack podcast you are this a week. Snack man. What is your Tim favorite snack right now? Oh, man. My favorite snack right now is a thing called a uh, no-name cake, and they sell it at a local chain pizza place called Mod Pizza. And it is basically the best ding-dong you've ever had in your entire life. Hands down. Best snack. Wow. I rated it a 10. I don't hand out 10s lightly, and I rated it a 10. So did Tim. Spoiler alert. Go listen to the episode. There you go. Listen to that. The Snack Man. The Wrestling Man. Derek Montia, he's a guy who wears a lot of hats. And actually, that's not just a that's uh, not just a phrase. He actually does wear a lot of hats. Oh, I have I have a lot of I hats. Yes, I really hats. do. Yeah, I'm wearing one there right now. Um, we can also read you at Arizona Sports and uh, check you out at PWG in Rosita whenever you're there. And uh, all that that's right. stuff. Come say hi. Take a picture with me. You're you're a very funny like guy. That. You will do it. I, I will. We're going to a wrestling show together. Drink with. Oh, we. We need to we need to schedule that immediately. Figure it out. Immediately. Yes, we All will. Right, Derek. Come to Phoenix. Come to Phoenix for the Royal Rumble next Ooh, year. I can do that. That goes to everybody. And that's my that favorite goes to every... of the year. I can do it. Yes. Or yes. It's going to be at Chase Field. At Chase Field, Chase. Oh, fantastic. Come on. It Wait, has is that to Chase be. Field? It is at Chase Field, yes. Yep. It's going to be pretty, pretty crazy. Hmm. All right. So we have that to look forward to. All right, man. Well, I'll talk later, man. Thank you so much for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second and leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.